you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Morning, everyone. Uh, This morning's Bible reading comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 to 34. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, would you help us to hear your word? For some of us today, this is a sensitive topic. But I pray, Lord, that by your spirit and by your word that we would be able to see with a gospel lens. Would you help us to hear what you might have to say through your word about asylum seekers and refugees? I pray this, and all of God's people said, Amen. Imagine this. It's late at night. The air is dry and uncomfortably warm. You don't know what is going to unfold, the outcome of the situation that you are in. It's now or never. You make your way quietly down to the riverbank and get on a small boat. This boat is not much larger than this stage, and you're crammed in with 174 desperate souls trying to flee a country that oppresses its people. It is devastated by a recent national military conflict. The atmosphere is intense filled with anxiety and fear. You are leaving family and friends with little supplies, not much than the clothes on their backs. This is your chance for a better life, but if the the government catches you, you risk torture and prison. As the boat starts to move, a thought fills your mind. You've heard real accounts of pirates at sea raping women and children, killing people on board and throwing their bodies over into the sea. Another thought comes to mind, the countless stories of drownings and Boats that have gone out into storms and have disappeared. But you remind yourself again, this is now or never. 
This may be the only chance to find a new life in a new country, free from oppression and war. The boat starts to move into open water. The whispers and the mutterings are heard for a moment, but then it returns back to silence. It's almost as if the people with you know the reality of the situation. What's that? This is day one on a boat. But the real question has to be answered. Will we make it? This isn't made up. This is the story of my parents fleeing a communist country that oppressed its people after the Vietnam War. If we haven't met yet, my name is Don, and before I start, I need to get something out of the way. Nick and the Melbourne East pastor team did not say to me, uh, this is in a phone call, Don, you're a person of colour, do you want to preach on asylum seekers and refugees? That is not what happened. Your pastor team is not racist. <laughs> Maybe lacking a little bit in ethnic diversity, we can talk about that later, but not racist. This is something that I raise my hand up for, and it's a mixture of personal, conflicting, and encouraging. But my hope for today is to look into God's word in what he might actually have to say about asylum seekers and refugees. So as we continue in our series of left and right, we have to ask this question. What does the Bible say on this issue? How, as Christians, are we to respond to asylum seekers and refugees? So I think it's important to start with a couple of key terms. First, a definition of asylum seekers. An asylum seeker is someone who is seeking protection from violence and oppression from another country, requesting sanctuary, but is yet to be processed as and verified legally as a refugee. This moves us into the important definition of refugees. Refugees are people who have fled war, violence, conflict or persecution and have crossed an international border to find safety in another country. They often flee with little more than the clothes on their back leaving behind homes, jobs, and loved ones. But what does Scripture have to say about those travelling from place to place without a home nation of residence and seeking refuge and are vulnerable? Well, we have to remember that in Genesis, created humanity, Adam and Eve were given a perfect refuge and paradise in Eden. But sin came into the world, as we know, and even in the first book of the Bible, we see people become wanderers 
needing a safe place to dwell and live in a broken world. The Old Testament uses the term sojourner a multitude of times in the Old Testament. This is to describe an alien, stranger, a foreigner, or a dependent newcomer dwelling among God's people. They are usually described in Scripture as vulnerable, needing shelter, protection, or food. Not only does God act when his people are in trouble, or in a nation like Egypt, he acts towards sojourners of other nations with care and love. In the law given through Moses, we see one of the most beautiful responses to sojourners in God's community. They're given a refuge. They're adopted in to the community. Let's look at that now and see how God cares for sojourners, refugee-like people in the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament laws have tremendous wealth of commandments that instruct God's people and nation to care for strangers that live among or approach the lands of Israel. Look at Exodus twenty-two twenty-one: You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Or look at the next chapter. In verse 9, you shall not oppress the sojourner. You know the heart of the sojourner. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Are you seeing the pattern in the first two books of the Old Testament? God reminds them that they're sojourners needing refuge and escape from oppression from the land of Egypt. We haven't even got to Israelite leaders or the prophets or Jesus yet. And as we heard in the video before we began in the Bible reading, Leviticus 19.34, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I'm the Lord your God. Move over, United Nations, or Red Cross. God was working ages ago. But wait, there's more. Leviticus 23, 22. When you reap of the harvest of the land, you shall not reap the field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. I know it feels like we're carbo-loading on the Old Testament, like a marathon, but many Christians glance over the next passage. This is important to see, because sojourners are invited into Sabbath rest and worship as well. Look at Deuteronomy 5.14. But in the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, any work, you or the sojourner, within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. 
or later on in Deuteronomy 16, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow among you, at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. And we get this similar use of the word exile through the prophetic books like Isaiah and Jeremiah and the minor prophets, especially when the Jewish people become strangers and sojourners in a foreign land. This is why we need to look back at God's ways in the way that he treats the vulnerable foreigner, especially when God's own people become sojourners, exiles in biblical histories themselves. But what I'm about to tell you may shock you. I didn't always think in this biblical kind of way, in caring for strangers. During my late childhood years, late teenage years, in a post-9-11 world, when I saw the World Trade Center incident in America, I felt the fear of terrorism. It started in the early 2000s. I would spend my recess and lunch reading the paper in the library, uh, especially in the politics and international news section. Yes, I was a newspaper nerd. I would have been the last person you would have wanted to talk to at a birthday party. I was that guy that you overheard at social parties uh, you'd, you'd, you'd hear my voice and you'd be like, oh no, Don's talking about politics again. But in your right, I eventually spiced things up. I started to write political parodies and satirical commentaries on international news and then distributing it out to my classmates in your right. I think you get my drift. I was into it. I was invested in reading up on international news and especially military conflicts like that of Afghanistan and Iraq. But importantly, the impact of immigration as it pertained to asylum seekers and refugees. I started to agree with many politicians and political analysts in what they were saying up until the early and late 2000s. Stop the boats. Shut the gates. And to summarise my political position as a teenager, I believe that allowing asylum seekers to migrate would have a negative cultural and economic impact on Australia. I believed in the narrative of discouraging queue jumping, fairness for those entering and being processed legally, and that more open borders correlated to increased activity of the abuse that was manifest in people smuggling. 
And finally, underneath all of that was the fear of those pretending to be asylum seekers, genuine asylum seekers. I believed in that countries in the West, including Australia, needed stronger mandates, stances to protect the country's safety, culture, and economy. This might be a sad and insensitive way to say it, but I was Asian on the outside and politically turning into Pauline Hanson on the inside. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't have said that. Some of you younger ones might say to me, please explain. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was another reference. But in all seriousness, I started to believe that stopping the boats was the best thing for Australian the best solution, in fact, regardless of how desperate asylum seekers and refugees were. I know some of you might be thinking at this point, Don, you are one confused son of a boat person. Your parents literally got on a boat, fleeing from oppression, no guarantees of safety, leaving family and friends for a better life. And you're saying that Australian immigration policy was flawless, wise, compassionate and considerate on the basis of national and cultural and economic security. It makes you think, doesn't it? How do you think Jesus would have responded to me? Because we've seen the way that God has cared for sojourners and exiles. In fact, the care of strangers and sojourners only intensifies when it comes to Jesus' ministry and teaching. Look at the care of the poor and the suffering of different nations in Matthew 25. Verse 32, before him will be gathered all nations, and he will separate one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The context of this passage is not preaching works over grace but the care of the poor and of strangers. 
I know personally I'm guilty of not living this commandment out in my own local community, let alone those of other nations. But Jesus goes further in describing compassion and hospitality he calls us to. Luke 14, 13. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. But you might say to me, Jesus didn't have to worry about today's complexities of human corruption, terrorism, or border security. To that I say, you're right. I agree with you. In following world conflicts and immigration policies for over 20 years and speaking to those who see corruption on the front lines, it's informed me how complex and multi-layered the asylum seeker issue is. Just ponder this for a moment. It's both a disturbing and an easy task to... Sorry, excuse me. Yes. Um, It's both an easy and a disturbing task to Google some of the dark realities of people smuggling. Those who take advantage of asylum seekers, exploiting their lies, finances, and hopes, taking advantage of people's desperation to flee a country. But I'll say this in confidence. That wouldn't stop Jesus in his love, nor his wisdom to engage in on this issue. After all, Jesus' own parents had to flee to Egypt to protect him as a baby. In the last 10 years, time and time again, I've seen Christians inside the secular sphere and in Christian ministry use their gifts, whether it be international law, medicine, education, a trade, to engage in the care of asylum seekers and refugees in desperate situations. This is why some of us might land more on the left seeing that we're responsible in representing a God of compassion, but less responsible for those who try and do abuse more open-door policies. Not only is it important to see Jesus' ministry and the treatment of the vulnerable of people of other nations, it's important to see the way that Christians in the past have responded in similar situations. Personally, I was challenged by Christians, but it was a long journey. It took me in my early 20s, deeply reflecting on my very own Australian grandparents, adopting my mother at 17 into a family of five. But this kind of understanding isn't unfamiliar to the New Testament story, is it? Look at the opening lines of 1 Peter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, 
He goes on to talk about them being in the family of God, having God as Father. See, the context of Peter's caring use of exiles in that verse as well is that of Christians fleeing persecution for their faith. So what might the Holy Spirit say through Peter for our modern times? As much as the immigration and national security issues regarding asylum seekers are complex, I think the apostles and Christians of church history would be ashamed of the treatment that goes on in detention centres where many asylum seekers are housed. But did you hear of the Tampa incident a few weeks before 9-11? Or the children overboard incident, which was around that time as well, where asylum seekers were accused of throwing their children recklessly overboard, trying to manipulate secure passage into Australia, rather than actually trying to save their children's lives. As a Christian, when I finally grasped the Tampa incident involving Afghan refugees sent away from Australian borders and denied medical, basic medical health care, or the incorrect narrative that was portrayed in the children overboard, when I reflected over this as a Christian, I genuinely grieved. I was once a major advocate for Stop the Boats. That began in the early 2000s. But as I read Scripture and met Jesus and prayed through these complexities, my view on this matter dramatically changed. To use this as a bargaining chip during election time to secure votes became distasteful for me. But as Christians, how should we respond? Firstly, we need to pray for our governments, as Romans 13 tells us, asking God to grant them wisdom. This is complex and multifaceted. But secondly, wisdom that is not separated from love. And what's the basis of that love? It's the redeeming reminder of the destination of restored humanity in Christ Jesus. Paul says this in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one. In Christ Jesus. Some of you might be thinking, Don, land the plane, put 10 application points to support asylum seekers. You may be convicted 
to walk into the asylum seeker support center that was mentioned before, to learn and help out and support those in current situations. Or it might come to mind in raising awareness to a local MP through a letter or an email. Or maybe you're on the other end. You're like, Don, I was, I was wanting 10 reasons why not to support asylum seekers. You may be feeling challenged as a Christian to take a closer look into the complexities of processing asylum seekers to refugee status. And I do encourage you to do that well. It's not straightforward. There are social and economic and cultural impacts. Talk to those in law and education or border protection. Do serious research if God lays it on your heart. But that's not my main takeaway for today. I hate to disappoint, and it might sound odd, but if we don't have Christ as the centre in exploring this issue, wherever we stand, left or right or anywhere in between, if Christ isn't the centre, we're vulnerable to extremes. This is why we need Christ's life and God's word to anchor our vision and discernment, love and wisdom on the issue. Let me give you some personal examples that need real wisdom with love. Number one, governments have responsibilities to serve and a part of that is to manage dangers and risks. For example, discerning criminals that have no records or the challenges that come with languages, healthcare, education for asylum seekers. Taking in refugees and asylum seekers has real risks. This was the case for those who were abusing open borders uh, in France, which resulted in the terrorist attacks in Paris, the bombings that occurred in 2015. And secondly, there are domestic and local impacts too. I know from my background that many Vietnamese men that came over fell into crime, gangs, addiction, and abusive behaviour. And don't judge me or my friend, but he understood this reality in his line of work. When I was living in Ballarat, I uh, befriended a prison warden uh, who was working in a Geelong prison. I was a little cheeky. I used to say to him, have you seen my cousin yet? Have you seen my second cousin yet? No, not yet. Ah, don't worry, you'll see me there soon. He would reply very quickly, Don, I'd rather not. I see a lot of people with your last name already in there. I couldn't slam him for racism. It was, there's a, there was reality to some of that truth. I'm 
softening the blow here. But that's actually what occurred in some circles during the 80s in some of the Vietnamese communities. And some of the children, in particular sons my age, fell into all sorts of broken relationships, crime, gambling, mental health issues. Gaining refugee status and starting a family does not solve matters of the heart and deep sin issues. But we have to answer this call, right, to compassion, wise advocating, even in the midst of complexities. I mean, watch any serious documentary on people smuggling. Talk to border controls, people who've seen civil wars or those in law enforcement or military personnel who see the front lines of these issues. It's by far not straightforward. And for those who understand these realities, I pass no judgment if you differ to my perspective. But either do I encourage anyone to shut down or attack anyone who has a different perspective on asylum seekers or refugees. But if the ultimate goal as a Christian is to protect our nation from terrorism or the Australian way of life, homegrown jobs, economic pressure due to immigration, or guarding from dramatic cultural change, I think we fall short biblically, neglecting our call from Genesis to Jesus from God's care of the Gentiles of the past to the life and the call of the church now. What's that call? A call to compassion and common good for those who may be hurting and needing refuge. And Australians should be challenged in this area. Currently, we take in about 10,000 refugees a year. But to compare to a nation such as Germany is frightening. During the Syrian conflict in 2015, Germany took on one million refugees. How about recent times? The Ukraine-Russian conflict Hundreds and thousands of Ukrainians fleeing to neighbouring countries, welcomed in, supported internationally. That also included Christians. But we need to discern the danger of losing a healthy perspective. If opening up our borders is the ultimate goal, especially without a long-term plan involving wisdom and discernment, we risk the other extreme. We risk being unwise and less discerning of the ultimate call of the gospel. We do have a serious call to care for refugees. 
Yet to house and to home refugees is not our ultimate calling. This is why we need to remember Jesus front and centre in engaging this topic. Because I know of myself and Christians like myself have gone to the extreme and concluded that this is the end point. It isn't. To begin with, we need to remember that refugees and asylum seekers are just like you and I, more than we realise. We're made in the image of God. And just like the refugee, our ultimate home and safety needs to be found in Jesus. My Australian grandparents knew this. They advocated for several families. But they importantly prayed for my mother and for my family for over 35 years to come to faith. I know that's a long time. I I can barely stay awake for five minutes sometimes praying, but those prayers were largely answered. My grandfather passed away of a brain tumour before he could see the eternal life that came out of his decision to adopt, but importantly, to pray and to share the gospel with my mother. But it's a reminder, isn't it? There's something bigger that we're reminded of when we engage the issue of asylum seekers and refugees as Christians. Gloria Furman says this, home is not our refuge. God is. God is. So before you launch into a disagreement or discuss national security and immigration law and policies, or on the other hand, if you are bursting at the seams to care for those poorly treated in detention centres, no matter where you land, remember this. We need to look at this issue with God's wisdom through a gospel lens. Because after all, if you're a Christian here today, before you knew Christ, you were lost in sin and without a true spiritual home. But at the same time, a sovereign God that has his ways, even through suffering, that his ways are higher than our ways, in how he even allows the suffering of refugees to occur in a broken world. Remember that this same sovereign God, that your life and very faith is found in undeserving grace. And that if you're a Christian here today, you were chosen when you had no right to citizenship into a kingdom that lasts forever. And that the ground of this cross is for all people. It's an invitation to the safest household and refuge of all. For those without a nation to call home. And those who do.
Paul says this to the churches of Ephesus that sums it up with just tremendous beauty. Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens. And aliens, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I know some of us will differ, or maybe at varying lengths on this topic, but I know my Christian refugee parents, like my mother, hear this last verse with tremendous glory that is hard to express with apt words. Romans 8.15 For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love your people. But Lord, I also love that you care for the stranger and the sojourner. Help us, Lord, uh, wherever we sit on this topic, Lord, to examine the scriptures and to look at your gospel and how we may engage, not just intellectually, but those who have this background. You call a people not just of Aussies, but of all nations. So I thank you, Lord, and I pray that we would join somehow in one chord so that we can see that day where all people of all nations worship and glory in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.